Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 11. And I got somebody else's notes in front of me. Who preached from Haggai? Was it Sean? Sean DeMars left his notes on the stage. Somebody want to give these back to Sean? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 11. Please stand with me as I read God's Word in your midst. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does a man gain from all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes to the north. Around and round it uh, goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not deceived with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I want to preach to you this morning on these 11 verses as we begin a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to tag my sermon, Beyond Success. I wonder if anybody needs to look beyond success this morning. Let's pray once again and ask God for his help. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us as I Seek to communicate your truths, not merely my ideas. Open our hearts that we might be shaped and fashioned like Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did anyone see the cloud on Wednesday night? All right, about a quarter of you, it was, it was like a wall. I was walking up Druid Hill with a couple of folks, and we looked to our west, and past Pennsylvania Avenue, it looked like a wall, a solid, as solid as concrete, like a mountain or like a tidal wave. From my perspective, it looked like it was about a thousand feet tall, and somewhere touched ground uh, west of Baltimore. Did anybody see it? Some of you did. Most of you don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I wonder if in a week from now, if someone were to be asked, hey, do you remember the cloud a week ago Wednesday? How many people would remember it? Some of you might, because I just mentioned it. Sealed it into your brain. Let's say you're walking down the street two years from now. And you say, hey, Do you remember that cloud back on 
October 18th, 2023, I bet you you won't find anybody that has any clue about what you're talking about. In five years from now, you know, walk down Druid Hill Avenue with me, and let's ask somebody, hey, do you remember what, we could have looked just west of here about five years ago, October 18th, 2023, and it looked like a wall. Do you remember that cloud? People would look at you like you are crazy. Meaning, as significant as I thought that cloud was, only three days later, later today, three quarters of you don't even know what I'm talking about. And some of you saw it, and it didn't register, and it didn't stick in your brain. Look at verse 2 in this text. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That word vanity in the original Hebrew language is hard to translate. There's not an, a word that adequately translates it for us. The KJV, along with the ESV, translates the word vanity. The NIV translates the word meaningless. The New American Standard Bible translates the word Futility. The message, paraphrase, actually does pretty good on this. The message says, smoke. Nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. The original word in the Hebrew means something like smoke, or vapor, or wind, or breath, or a cloud. Clouds. Nothing but clouds. There's nothing to anything. It's all clouds. As significant as that cloud was on October 18th, 2023, it will soon amount to nothingness in our memory. It's all clouds. Everything is clouds. Everything is smoke. Everything is vanity, he says. Our successes and our accomplishments are like clouds. They are beautiful when you look at them. They're so beautiful, they, you, they're, they're, they're tangible. You feel like you could, you could wrap your hands around them. You feel like you could, if you could climb up to the cloud, lay in it and rest in it. And you look at your successes and it is so beautiful and so tangible, you feel like you could finally rest in your success until you get there and you realize it's nothing but a vapor. There's nothing to rest in. And when you're in the middle of your work, in the middle of your toil, like a cloud, you are so disoriented by everything that you see, you don't know which way is forward and which way is back. And sometimes clouds feel, if you're in the middle of it, so powerful that you just can't imagine anything beyond it. And such is life, such is our work, such is our toil, such is our successes. When we're in the middle of it, it's all we can think about. It's the only thing that matters to you. And you can't even understand why nobody else seems to think of it as much as you do. Yet, like clouds, 
just give it a few hours and it's gone. And everybody goes on to something else and nobody remembers it. The channel's changed. The next song is played. The page is turned. We're starting this series this morning in this great book of Ecclesiastes. Imagine this scenario with me. You're given a task. And the task you're given is to find the meaning of life. But you have one rule. As you think about the meaning of life, you cannot look at anything above the sun. Meaning, you have to act like an atheist. And you have to say that there is no God, and this world is all there is, and I've got to find meaning in this world without any thought of God. The author of this book is likely Solomon or someone writing as Solomon in uh, verse 1. He calls himself the preacher. That's, his, that's the name he gives himself. A little bit of a nickname here as the author. The author's in the background. And he tells us that there's a preacher that's going to be talking to us. The words of a preacher, he begins in verse 1. This wise old sage who is the son of David, King David, the great king of Israel. This is why it's likely Solomon. Verse 12, he says he's, he himself is the king over Israel. In verse 16, he's a person filled with wisdom. Meaning the author of Ecclesiastes is a man who's who has all wealth and wisdom and power, meaning if anybody knows success in this world, it is this person who's writing. The limits to his research project are the sun. Is the sun. Everything under the sun. Meaning he's adopting this worldview for the sake of this exploration, to try to find meaning without giving any thought to God. Two plus two is what? Four. Well, we could say that uh, life plus God is meaning. And so this man is crossing out God and he's saying, can we find meaning without Him? Can we find fulfillment with just life? Only looking at things under the sun, which is what he tells us in verse 14 he's doing. So for just a moment, take God out of the equation. And what the author tells us at the very beginning, I mean, this is, this is no mystery for him. He tells us his thesis right at the beginning. It's all vanity. It's all smoke. It's all a vapor. It is all meaningless. And so he he begins to work through, I mean, this is what Ecclesiastes is. He's going to be looking at all of these different aspects of life, and he's coming to the same conclusion that if you take life without God, it is all meaningless. First, we're going to look at success. Next week, we're going to look at uh, uh, knowledge. The week after that, we're going to look at pleasure, and on and on we'll go. And I hope you continue in this journey with us. So let me pause for just a moment and ask you this question. Are you trying to find fulfillment in your 
successes. One more accomplishment, and I'll be right. If I could just achieve one more thing, I could finally rest in my achievements. If I could just acquire one more thing, I could finally vindicate myself. If I could just do this next thing, I could prove myself, not just to the world, but I could prove myself to myself. At the height of her career, Madonna, who was wildly successful in 1991, admitted that she can never have enough success. And she said this, My will, says Madonna in 1991, my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push, I push past one spell of it, and I discover myself as a special human being. And then I get onto another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to finally get myself out of that, and again, and again, and again, it goes. My drive in life, she says, is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Are you tired of struggling to prove yourself? Are you tired of this illusion that you will finally someday arrive at a new destination which will finally vindicate who you are? Are you tired of the emptiness of your labors? Are you tired of succeeding only to discover that your success is never enough? Do you need to look beyond success and find something more? So success is put on trial this morning. That's how the author begins. He puts success on trial. And he says, let's go ahead and see if success and progress can find us meaning, can ultimately uh, provide with us, uh, for us fulfillment. And his accusation, if we think of the preacher as uh, as an accuser here, an attorney, his accusation is this. It's a vapor. Success cannot bring you any fulfillment because there's nothing to it. That's what he says. And then he brings into the stand five witnesses to make his case. And let's just walk through these five witnesses. Each one of these witnesses will testify against your ability to find any fulfillment in success. He asks a rhetorical question in verse 3. Tony, rhetorical questions are not meant to be answered, so just, just playing with you, bro. Verse 3, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Come on, come on, man. <laughs> this is why we love Tony. Yep, Tony, thank you for that answer. What does a man gain by all the toils at which he toils under the sun? He asks this question intentionally to get us to think, and then he says, I would like to call to the witness stand. Six, uh, uh, I'm sorry, time. 
time, my first witness against your ability to find any fulfillment in success or progress, you're going to hear from time. Time testifies against the fulfillment of success. Look at verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. What he says is that time is an endless ticking clock. And man, if I could just get time to pause for one minute, for five minutes, for just an hour, so I can catch my breath and catch up with everything that's going on in life, maybe to enjoy life for just a moment. But time will never pause for you. You'll never stop getting older. You'll never stop growing. Your kids will never stop growing. The next thing will never stop coming. The next night will, not, uh, will, ne- will, will never stop coming towards you. The next morning will never be there. Time keeps going on. Meaning we grow, we have dreams, we get jobs, we get babies, and then we get old, and then we find ourselves on our deathbeds, and the next generation is now in their 40s and 50s, and they too will one day get old and follow you. The excitement of the new baby turns into the sleepless nights of toddlerhood. Somebody say, amen. Amen. Toddlerhood turns into the challenges of parenting. Somebody else say, amen. Amen. And we just keep going and going through life, just trying to hang on. And the kids move out, and we become grandparents, and then you become great-grandparents, and then you become dust. And it just goes on and on and on a new generation another generation and so time steps into the witness stand and time says look since you can't stop me you too will die meaning nobody is immortal nobody is irreplaceable nothing is permanent everything is fleeting that's what time says Next into the witness stand, I would like to call nature, says the preacher. Now nature, number two, nature testifies against your ability to find fulfillment in success. Look at verse 5 through 7 with me. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. Verse 7, all the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. Meaning, the sun really thinks it's doing something when it rises in the morning. But then after it rises, it goes back right to the place where it began. The wind, oh man, yesterday the wind really thought it was doing something and tomorrow it will be forgotten. And the wind just continues. It goes on and on and around and around and around. The wind goes again and again. The water, the water is moving so fast down the river. The water is like energy and like life. And man, look at me flowing. The water thinks it's doing something. And he says it just ends up going into the streams and then eventually into the oceans. And the oceans never really get full and filled and because then they go into the, into the bays and the streams and the rivers and, and the water just continues its cycle, its endless toil. And so he says then in, in verse 8, he says, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot understand it. Nature... For the preacher is an example 
of success and chasing after work and toil for us. And not just in our generation, but generation after generation, meaning humanity has been working as hard as you are today for generations in the past and for generations to come. And where are we going? Where is is the end of all of this? Where is the conclusion? Where is the ultimate destination? Around and around and around our toil goes. And he says there, therefore then, all things are filled with weariness. A man cannot utter it. Meaning, I don't even have the words to explain how tired this world actually is. Endless progress, listen to this, with no final achievement. Progress, progress, progress. We love to talk about progress, don't we? What he's saying is, is we've got endless progress. Look at nature. Endlessly progressing with no arrival. New things, new toys, new lovers, new husbands and wives, new lives, new kids, new jobs, new cities, new restaurants, new songs, new movies. Yet no arrival. Where are we going? What he's saying is his time testifies against our ability to find fulfillment and success, and so does nature. Third, the third witness we'd like to call to the witness stand is our eyes and our ears. Are they ever satisfied? We, already, we can almost go on. I don't even have to preach this one. <coughs> Verse 8. Continues, the eye, he says, is not satisfied with seeing, nor are the ear filled with hearing. Oh, your eye sees so much. If I could just get those new AirPods, I would be happy. That's all I need, is to be able to listen to my music and not pull them out of my ear because I whacked my cord and they fell out. (laughs) AirPods, everybody. And then you get the AirPods and you feel the same way. You're not sad. Your eyes aren't satisfied. Your eyes are never satisfied with success. If I could just achieve this next thing. How about beauty? Are they ever satisfied with seeing beauty? Have we ever seen enough? And I, I, I can die now. You say that for a moment. Five minutes later. How about attaining beauty? If I, if I could just get that beauty, if I could just have that hairstyle, if I could have that skin tone, if I could have those clothes, then I would finally feel okay. And then you arrive at beauty. But it's never enough. There's always more beauty to be had. Spiritual, well, we're only thinking of things under the sun. And that's a good point. Remember, we're only looking at things absent of their, as if there is no God. We watch a great movie. And man, for just a moment, you feel like this movie is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. I'm so satisfied. And then as soon as the credits roll, you're scrolling Netflix to try to find something else that's worthy of your two hours. Never satisfied. If I could just see that city, if I could see the mountains, if I could see the ocean, and our sights are never satisfied. Our pursuits, if I could just get that degree, if I could just see that job realized in my life, if I could see that house as my house, if I could have that money, 
Then I'll finally be happy and I won't want for anything else. And then you get into the degree program and it's new challenges and new fears and new failures. You get that job and you just want a pay raise. You get the house and you see your friend's new McMansion in Texas. You get the money, you get $10,000 more this year than you had last year. And you feel the exact same way you felt when you were $10,000 poorer. Our eyes can never be satisfied, he's saying, and they testify against the fulfillment of success. How about the ears? Well, we hear a new song. This is, I'm going to uh, pick on my wife here, but I do the same thing. We hear a new song and we put it on repeat over and over and over and over again because like it's just that hook something about it if i could just get it into my soul and then pretty soon eventually the song is played out and you don't even want to ever hear it again and you're looking for the next new song our ears are never satisfied how about applause you hear the applause because of a job well done and for just a moment you feel satisfied just for a moment, you feel like you found value. Just for a moment, you've got the praise of mankind. But soon, the world forgets. In your mind, you're repeating that, that praise over and over and over again. A year later, you're still thinking about how they patted you on the back. And they don't even remember it. They've moved on. Our ears are never satisfied with the applause of people. What he's saying is this, is our eyes and our ears testify against the fulfillment of success. They can never be satisfied. Time, nature, eyes and ears, a fourth witness comes to the stand, and that is novelty. Maybe if I can come up with a new idea. Something that nobody's ever thought of before. Novelty testifies against the fulfillment of success. Look at verse 9. He says, what has been will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there, such a, is there a thing of which it is said, oh, see, this is new. It has already been done in the ages before it. Is it true that nothing is new? Is it true that progress is an illusion? Is it true that your contribution to humanity is an illusion? Well, certainly, innovation exists. Certainly, there are new things that we do. I mean, even Solomon himself built a new temple. You know, certainly, he knows that there, are such a, there is such a thing as inventions. But he's, he's saying you know, there's nothing new under the sun in the same way that we say it today. You know, like, what goes around comes around. Meaning, what he's saying is this, with all of the progress and all of the success and all of the innovation and all of the inventions and all the great things that you guys are working on today and the things that you're going to do to contribute to society, with all of that, he says, we still have war. Nothing's new under the sun. With new civilizations and new governments, we still have corruption. With new generations, new babies born, we still have old-fashioned rebellion. With new technology, we still have old power abuse. 
There's nothing new under the sun. And that's the negative stuff. But how about the positive stuff? Well, we might say, well, hey, we're, we're like a new church in the community. And we're preaching the gospel to this neighborhood. We're not the first. There's been generations before us who have preached the same gospel that we preach today. And we won't be the last. You've learned to parent. And you are so proud of yourself because you've learned to father a three-year-old. That's great. And you're not the first. And you won't be the last. You've learned to run a business. You're not the first. And you won't be the last. You see, I might not like this, but what he's saying is, is Joel, you are not as special as you would like to think you are. And he's not just saying that to me. You're not as unique as you think you are. Meaning, can I boast in my successes? Well, no more than the millions of people before me who had the same successes. And the millions of people who will come after me who have had the same successes. There's nothing new under the sun. Fifth and final witness, if that's not enough. Memory. How about our memory? Memory steps into the witness stand, and memory testifies against the fulfillment of success. Look at verse 11. He says, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. We don't remember things in the past and the things that are today won't be remembered and the things that will come will not be remembered. That's what he's saying. Let me give you an example of this. Does anybody know the name William Goodrow? Anybody? William Goodrow. Well, he was an architect who in 1972 designed the very building that we're sitting in. Meaning about 50 years ago, who knows, maybe 50 years ago this month, I don't know. It's about that time. It was his work that would have been celebrated. Perhaps his, pay, his, his, his face was in the Baltimore Sun. Oh, what an odd building he designed here. It's a brutalist architecture. There's, he, he was known for his brutalist, his brutalist uh, uh, architecture, architectural works, I guess you call it. I don't know. I'm not an architect. But 50 years later... Here we are, sitting in his building, having a grand opening in his building for our church, and not one of us knew the name. And I know it because I looked it up this morning. <laughs> There's names that we know from the past, Martin Luther King, Thurgood Marshall, Abraham Lincoln. These are massive figures in history. Yet how many millions of people lived and worked alongside these figures, equally important, doing amazing things, equally impressive. You have people that we don't know. Even their great-great-great-grandkids don't know them and their accomplishments and their achievements. And at some point, every name in our civilization will be forgotten to history. And not only in the past, but things and people to come. Names to come. Names of great physicians, great artists, 
great inventors, great activists, will one day be forgotten, dissipate into the clouds of success. Our own church, filled today, will one day not be here. One day, this church will be filled with people that we don't know today. Eventually, this church will die. Eventually, this building will be an empty shell and torn down. Nothing remains. Everything is fleeting and everything is forgotten. Meaning they won't care about our grand opening service. Our names. Who we are. Our stories. Whoo! You feeling good? <laughs> All right, so memory comes off the stand and the preacher says, I rest my case. And he walks back to his desk. Nothing can satisfy. No amount of accomplishments and work and toil and success can ultimately bring you fulfillment. And he shouts, as he says in the CSV, nothing makes sense. Everything is nonsense. I've seen it all. Nothing makes sense. Success, he's saying, will never fulfill you. Seeking fulfillment in success, you are doomed for disappointment. You're bound for sorrow. You're resting on a cloud that cannot hold you and will not be there tomorrow. Once you arrive at success, it is gone. And in three days, nobody will remember it and nobody will care and nobody will see it and the cycle will go on and on and on for generations. And by the way, nobody is immune to trying to find the fulfillment in success. Sure, secular folks, people who are godless, seek to find their identity in, I don't know, society's progress, yet everything crumbles. But religious people do this too. Trying to find their identity in their good, good works and their religious duties. Yet there's always another soul, another challenge, another problem, another person, another individual. But neither of these views are Christian because Christians are not to find their identity in what they do with their hands. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes along and says that you, your, your union is not with what you do. You're not united with your accomplishments. You're not united with your successes, but rather your union is in Christ. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has done something for you that you could never do for yourself. You have been turned into sons of God. Saints, the preacher is not trying to depress you this morning. This preacher. He's not trying to depress you. He's trying to free you. He's trying to free, free you from seeking your fulfillment in these dissipating vapors of the world. There's, there's two groups of people that I want to address here really quick, and I assume both of them are in this, this room. The one group, group would be the I don't believe in God group. I don't believe in God. There is no God, or there might not be a God, or I, 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 I operate on this worldview as if there is no God. 
If there is a God, He cannot be known. What Ecclesiastes is saying to you this morning is that you have nothing but endless toil in your life that will never bring you fulfillment. Meaning, the writer of this knows me and knows you better than you know yourself. Because you're in the middle of the cloud and you feel like it's so significant and so important and it's the only thing that you can see and you can't imagine this cloud ever being forgotten. But He knows us better than we know ourselves. And He's saying there's nothing there. You cannot find meaning in what you do. But there's another group, and I'm going to call them the, I call myself a Christian, but I act like I don't believe in God group. And that group might be a bigger group than the first in this room. Meaning you claim to be a Christian, yet you operate under a worldview which acts as if there is no God. Meaning, you go to church on Sundays, you're faithful, you're here, you're present, you talk about Jesus, you've got family worship in your homes, you open the Bible, yet you are miserable every night because you're seeking to find your fulfillment in what you do and what people say of you and what you acquire and what you accomplish and how much progress you make. Meaning, you call yourself a Christian, and maybe you are, but you're acting as if the only thing that matters is what exists under the sun. No, the author is not trying to depress you. He's trying to save you from yourself. He's not saying don't have a drive for success. He's saying don't seek fulfillment in your success. He's trying to rescue you from saviors which do not save He's trying to rescue you from gods which cannot satisfy. He's trying to rescue you from the idols which laugh at you and mock you as they crumble. You see, to understand Ecclesiastes in any part, you have to understand the whole of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a journey into the, the underworld of godlessness. So that the godless might know that there is a God. By the end of the book, we get to his conclusion, and it's simply this, fear God. Fear God. Can you find fulfillment, life, meaning in anything under the sun without God? No, you cannot. It's all vanity. It's clouds. It's worthless. It's meaningless. It's, it's smoke. Conclusion. Fear God. Meaning there is hope for us. Saints, without God, our life is nothing but an endless rat race. And every day there is another stage on which we have to perform. And yeah, we might have felt okay yesterday on yesterday's stage, but now we're on a new stage. And we once again are feeling worthless and inadequate. Madonna had to get on another stage. Every day. Every year. And she's always trying to find hope and fulfillment in that next stage. Maybe this next one. If I do well enough, I could finally solve this deep problem inside of me of inadequacy. And it came with the same old fears. I'm never, ever going to be good enough. 
I wonder if you feel like maybe, if maybe if I can conquer this next stage, maybe then I will prove myself. And on and on and on it goes until we are forgotten. And so the question comes, is that all there is in life? No, there is hope. That's what this book is about. Meaning, this does not have to be all vanity. Life does not have to be all clouds, all forgotten. There's a little hint in verse 11, which I believe points us forward to something greater, beyond success. In verse 11, he says, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. No one will be remembered, he says, unless, unless there is one who will come after, who is remembered, you see. Unless, unless there is one above the sun. Look, how many of y'all know that Christ is the one who was above the sun? Who came under the sun to bring meaning and salvation and life and fulfillment to those of us who have been trapped under the sun. Christ is the one who stepped onto this stage of life and He performed a righteousness that you and I could never have performed. He actually accomplished something in His life and that was to be right with the Father. Which is what we all want, isn't it? To be right. It's what Madonna wanted. To be right. Christ came onto this stage once and for all and He accomplished it. And then He died. In His death, Christ took the judgment that we deserve in His own body on that old rugged cross. And Christ actually, listen to this, He actually accomplished something. Meaning, He accomplished something that is eternal. He accomplished something that has a a, a forever kind of impact with an ultimate destination. You see, generations come and generations go, right? We all die. Unless death can somehow be reversed. You see, Christ died on that old rugged cross, yet three days later, He got up from the dead. He accomplished our righteousness. He accomplished our redemption. And He accomplishes our destination, which is the resurrection of the body. Life everlasting. His accomplishments, then, therefore, are lasting accomplishments that are worthy, that are honorable, and that are commendable for all generations to see. Our response, church, turn and trust in Jesus Christ. See the God who came under the sun to save a wretch like me. Who will one day, church, raise us from the dead. 
and bring us eternally into his presence. A final destination. It will not go on and on forever. We will reside with God where tears are wiped away, where there is no sickness and decay, no more death. The old order forever passed away. All things made new in the presence of God. Somebody say amen. Yes, buildings will be torn down. Generations come and go. Governments will be built and governments will collapse and be rebuilt again. Populations will migrate from place to place to place. But the Word of God remains forever. In Christ, we have something stable. In Christ, we have not merely something that looks like a cloud a thousand feet tall touching the ground somewhere west of Baltimore, or something that looks like a mountain, rather. Yet it's a dissipating cloud. In Christ, we have an actual mountain, something concrete, something with foundations, something stable, rooted not in this world, but in God Himself. Yes, He has a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, and check this out. He gives you a name which will last forever, bringing you into Him, into His destination, into His accomplishments. So is there such a thing as progress? Is there such a thing as success? Well, in Christ, we have become sons of God. How's that for success? In Christ, we have an inheritance of eternal wealth of the presence of God. How's that for success? In Christ, we have conquered Because Christ has conquered not merely the stage of life, but He's conquered the stage of sin and death and guilt and brought us into resurrection. How is that for success, church? Oh, church, victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to Him. Who can stand against the Lord? No one can. And no one will. Not time, not nature, not man. Who can stand against the king? No one can. And no one will. Not forgetfulness and not decay. Because victory belongs to Jesus, church. Victory belongs to Him. How many of you know that we are in Christ? And so victory then is yours. Because victory is His. Because we are in Him. And He is in us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that victory belongs to Christ and we are in Christ. God, I pray that we will not seek to find our fulfillment in the things that we do, but that we will look to the hope in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.